At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Hey, y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today's guest is uh, David Leon. Hello, David. Hi, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, sir. Doing very well. Good. Uh, now, you're the writer and director of the film Orthodox. That's correct, yeah. Starring Stephen Graham. Um, and uh, do you want to give us a brief synopsis as to what Orthodox is about? Sure, yeah. It's about, um, it's set in the Orthodox Jewish community in Stamford Hill, and it's about a, a young boy who's a, um, a Hasidic Jew, and he is kind of bullied for being, uh, for being Jewish. And it follows his story really both as a young boy and an older man, and how the choices that he makes as a young boy affect his life, um, his later life. Um, and it really deals with the kind of the, the, the conflict that arises both within his community, but also um, as a consequence, his, his kind of his, his life, um, driven by the kind of juxtaposition of living in an area of London or an area of the world where, on the one hand, you have a kind of a 19th century Polish village in Stamford Hill, you know, people living in a very, very specific way, mm. and an incredibly multicultural cosmopolitan society just on the other side of um, Stamford Hill Road in Hackney. And, um, you know, the kind of the, the, the requirements and the kind of the um, demands that are placed on somebody growing up in the 21st century, but being asked to live in a very kind of demanding, kind of regulated, rule-driven way, you know, within this kind of this this, this community. So um, it deals with lots of themes and lots of areas, but um, fundamentally, it's really a story about a, a character who finds himself on the fringes of a of a society or a community, and um, and the kind of the the personal and kind of moral choices that he has to make as a result. And, and uh, you're going to be screening that at a festival soon? What's, what's, the, what's the deal there? Yeah, it's played at a couple of festivals so far. We play at the Jewish Film Festival on the 11th of October, I think, and on the 17th. 11th of November, I hope. Yeah, sorry, 11th of November <laughs> and, and, and 17th, yeah. And that's been a bit of a whirlwind, excuse my bits. But, um, it's all right. So 11th and 17th of November at the, uh, at the Barbican, and um, so people can, can, I think, order their tickets online. Brilliant, brilliant. So, as far as I understand, Orthodox started out life as a short film, is that right? Yeah, we, um, 
I mean, the nature of making any kind of film, but particularly a debut film, and I think particularly a, a film that is um, kind of contentious, I think, in terms of its subject matter, um, you know, it's a very difficult thing to finance. And so we tried to make various films at various different levels, and we'd had a, a certain amount of success, but it wasn't working. It wasn't going as quickly as, I think, we as a, as a kind of a collective um, wanted. So we decided to make... Um, a short film with a view to turning that into a feature film at a, at a kind of a, a micro-budget level. Mm. <clears throat> that was always the intention. So we set out, because we knew, that, we knew that physically we could find the money and probably the resources to make another short film. I've made a series of short films and had a certain amount of success with that and been fortunate in terms of the momentum that that had given me. Yeah. And I kind of didn't really want to make another short film in an ideal world, but... Um, wanted to make something because like I say the kind of the wheels were turning very slowly so we went out we made that short film and like I say the idea was to use part of that short film within the context of the feature as a whole and use um, uh, use it almost like as a pilot to sort of generate finance for the feature but the benefit of which is not only that you can show people a kind of the tone and the kind of the sensibility of, of what it is you're trying to make but also um, you only have to finance, let's say, I don't know, 70 minutes as opposed to 90. So it makes it a little bit easier in that, in that respect. It also makes it, it brings with it certain challenges, but nevertheless, I think the film would never have got made had it, had it not been for us going down that route. So you literally made a sort of 20-minute segment of the film. Yeah, exactly right. And the, and oh, the thing wow. about it to make, that made it more complicated, really, was that yeah. um, you... The, we, we always felt like the film needed to be self-contained. Yeah. So the, the short, that is, needed to be self-contained because it, it was something that we wanted to live in its own, in its own kind of world and be able to be um, uh, put into festivals and, and whatnot. Because we, kind of, we weren't quite sure where the, where the financing was going to come from. We just had this kind of great master plan that, you know, if we went and made a 20-minute film, you know, it would be so great that everybody would kind of, you know, want to want to see a kind of a larger version of that. And mm. actually, in hindsight, it wasn't quite as simple as that. But to some extent, we, we did manage to generate through festivals a certain amount of interest. And I think as a consequence, once that momentum starts up, you know, it becomes a much, um, a much easier thing to, to sort of carry through. I think, you know, when you just have words on a bit of paper and you're trying to convince people through, you know, either a mood reel or a, you know, a kind of a... Um, a set of images, mm. you know, that you, you know, this is the film that you want to make. It's a, it's a much, much more difficult process than if you actually have something um, um, where you have a film that you can kind of, you know, you can send a link to people and you can kind of go, these are the actors, these are the characters they're playing, you know, they're attached, it's ready to go, you know, all we need is, you know, your commitment. Mm. That's amazing because I'm familiar with the process of maybe doing a, uh, like a show reel or a, or a kind of teaser, which might give a hint to tone, but never yeah. actually making sort of a self-contained segment of a movie to then say, "Look, here it is." And obviously, the risk that the kind of thing there, if you've got all your actors in places, there's no better evidence than saying, "Look, here they are." <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, one of the things I think was that it was a big inspiration for me was Paddy Considine made a film called um, "Dog All Together," which was a, a short film, and it was actually. It was around at a similar time to my a short film that I made called Man and Boy. Mm. And um, <clears throat> we did various, I think we I seem to remember, we did various film festivals together or it was, it kept coming around 
at times that I think I, I seen it at a festival, <clears throat> so on and so forth. And anyway, film four were involved with that. And then they, they turned that short film into his debut film, which was Tyrannosaur. So they actually reshot all of that footage as far as I'm aware. And they, and they had the ability to be able to almost re draft the stuff that didn't work. Mm. But for us, we knew that we would never have that kind of, you know, the resources to be able to do that. So it was it was kind of inspiration on the one hand because they took a short film and they made a kind of a feature-length version of it. What we did was we made a short film and we tried to use that footage within the context of a feature film that was about the same subject matter to some extent, but it made it much more rigid, as a particularly in post, you know, in terms of the edit, mm. because we... The short obviously was, I mean, you know, it was a kind of a, a non-linear structure, but it was fundamentally a kind of a three-act structure. Yeah. It had a beginning, a middle, and an end. And obviously that doesn't work in the context of a, of, of, of a bigger piece. So we had to be creative with it and, and be slightly canny in terms of the way that we kind of approached that. But, you know, um, it, gives, it, it gives the tools to be able to play with. And I think to some extent the palette... You know, I sort of feel it's almost a little bit like when you paint a canvas and you kind of, you have your, your palette of colors and you kind of go, what I choose to kind of, what I choose to paint is, is up to me. You know, the colors are there and I have the kind of the raw materials. So, you know, with regard to the edit, the footage is there, you know, it's just how we kind of order it to some extent. And um, like I say, it complicated the process and made it more challenging, but actually, um, I would be surprised if anybody was able to to notice, you know, what was shot in the short and what was what was in the feature. Well, I didn't spot it. That's kind. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God for that. Uh, so, if I, if I'm evidence of anything, <laughs> I'm evidence of that. Um, so, uh, why why this story? Where, where did this come from for you? I mean, because it's quite in, in some senses, it's 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 a typical story, you know, somebody from a group who's ostracised by the group. But I think the way that you represent some of the group, in particular the um, the Orthodox Jewish Church, is not maybe atypical. I think the uh, the kind of criminal undertone and stuff is not necessarily what we think of. Yeah, sure. Um, I should probably mention that I, I didn't mention earlier on that you know, the, as a result of the the young boy being persecuted, he turns to the boxing community. Well, he goes to boxing classes, basically to a boxing gym, mm. and it represents a community in its own way. And of course. It, it, it's almost um, it's it, it, he goes there as a means to defend himself, but he actually gets kind of embroiled or kind of embraced by that community more so than his kind of his his original kind of uh, religious community. Um, and the reason that I kind of wanted to go down that route was because I was kind of inspired by the fact that throughout the ages, boxing has been a fundamental part of the, the, the Jewish heritage. When the Jewish community existed in Whitechapel in London um, in the 1900s, it was kind of a, uh, it was seen as a bit of a kind of a, an underclass to some extent, and a lot of the men used to fight one another um, as a means of making a living. Um, so there is a kind of a, a long history of, of, of this within, within the Jewish community, and I kind of felt that never the, the, the kind of the, the, the significance of such was that it was kind of, you know, it was still relevant today to some extent, you know, I think that that community still suffers a great deal of persecution. And yet, 
in the context of the in the context of that world, the idea that you know one man would consciously inflict pain upon another is very much frowned upon. So you have this kind of conflict, or, or this kind of um, I yeah, I suppose this kind of direct direct conflict within the community, and that it has that heritage, but you know the the, the religion very much frowns upon it. And I thought that was very interesting. But fundamentally, the the, the reason that I wanted to to make a film about the community is because I think it's endlessly fascinating. I think it's a kind of a world that exists within London where, um, which is unlike anything else. And, you know, we live in such a, well, certainly within London, it's such a multicultural, cosmopolitan, um, probably the most multicultural city in the world, I would say. And yet within that, the Hasidic Jewish community still feels like something which is very... Um, Undiscovered, or kind of, you know, un, you know, it's a community about little, of, little, little of us know much about. Um, so, when you kind of delve a little bit deeper, you start to realise that it's actually just like any any other community, you know, anywhere, anywhere in the country, mm. um, and possibly anywhere in the world to some extent. You know, they have their, you know, they they have their. Um, there are good, there are bad, and they're kind of flawed, you know, and, you know, everything in between, as it were. And I kind of think that, you know, the the benchmark is set so incredibly high um, for these people that that there must be an element of which that, that falls short of that. You know, there must, be an, there must be an element of which, you know, that kind of, that don't do as, as, um, as they're required. And as a consequence, are kind of, you know, frowned upon and, you know, deemed to be, um, you know, sort of, I suppose, I don't like to use the term, but almost like bad, um, they, yeah, I suppose, I suppose they more, the more observant they are, the better, the, the, the kind of the better Jews that they are regarded to be. Mm. The, the better, the better, I don't know if that's it, I don't know. But that's, that's like, all, I mean, that's like all religions, isn't it? It's like if you're, if you're perceived to be doing the right thing, then anything yeah. else you do, is kind of ignored, isn't it? I think it's what you're getting at, aren't you? With the way yeah, films. I think it just it, it just takes it to another level. I mean, this is really at the, at the absolute extreme end of the spectrum. So you know, this is this is a specific sect of the Jewish religion. You know, you have you have people who live in mainstream society who have, you know who take their kind of religion as Jewish people and anything else for that matter very seriously, but they don't commit their lives to the teachings of the. Of the Jewish faith, for example, mm. and this is a you know this is a specific section, and I think that when you're as a child, you know, as a young person growing up in that community, where you're you're required to dress a certain way, live a certain way, eat a certain way, and dedicate your entire life to you know to the Bible, essentially to the Jewish form of the Bible, mm. and yet you cross a road, or you know, and, and I should preface that by saying you know you're not allowed access to televisions, to mobile phones, to newspapers. You live in a community whereby, you know, they provide their own ambulance service, their police service, and all business is done, you know, kind of in-house. Mm-hmm. And yet you cross the road and you're walking into, you know, and you know this, this kind of contemporary 21st century society where people, um, you know, have access to any kind of information that they could possibly desire at the touch of a button via a mobile phone, it must be the most confusing, you know, position you can ever, you know, you can possibly imagine. And there must be a percentage of kids who conform to that. And there must also be a minority, maybe a majority, I don't know, but a minority of kids who go, you know what, actually, 
I'm really interested to see what's you know what's what's around the corner and what's kind of you know what's taking place in the real world. Mm. And, and and I find that fascinating. Like I find that absolutely because I think it applies to all of us on some level. You know, it's that kind of other man's grass is greener kind of scenario. And we we and in, in my experience, you tend to find that you know the grass is very rarely greener. But actually, you know, it's that kind of that idea of fascination of what's you know like I say what's around the corner and what what is kind of the you know what is the you know what is that that kind of that other you know what are they doing over the road? So when when you when you were when you were pulling this story together, then what what for you were were the sort of challenges in terms of storytelling for you to sort of where where did you come unstuck and have to sort of really try and sort of work the script to get it get it to pull together as one thing? I think you're always kind of I mean look I mean you know when you're dealing with this kind of subject matter you've got to be incredibly sensitive and I think that's very very. That's my kind of responsibility as a filmmaker. Mm. Um, I think it's really important to, you know, it's, it's my belief that I think is a is it the first time filmmaker of a of a kind of a low budget film mm. that it's my view anyway that you really need to um, deal with something which has you know look I mean it goes it goes without saying that it needs to have an originality but I think. You know, you have a kind of responsibility to be um, to be different in some respect because you don't have the only thing that makes that film extraordinary. You know, in in real terms, is is the the subject matter. You know, and the, and the approach towards it. Uh, you know, the execution essentially, because you don't have the benefit of you know the toys and whatever else. Mm. Um, and I kind of feel, you know, in terms of my, in terms of my um, influences, they tend to be quite driven by world cinema, and you know, and kind of more kind of, I suppose, edgy and 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 um, and maybe provocative kind of kind of filmmaking. Mm. So, on the one hand, you're trying to deliver something which is, which has something to say, you know, a strong voice. Mm. And on the other hand, you're trying to be sensitive to a religion, a culture, and a community, you know, which I actually, you know, through the research and, and through spending time in that community and with those people became very, not just close to, but very, very fond of. Mm. You know, I think, you know, it's not the way that I would choose to live my life, but I'm f- fully respectful that um, people do and actually in the large majority of cases in an incredibly positive way. But I also am fascinated by that, you know, that maybe one, two or five percent that kind of, you know, break the rules somewhat and as a consequence, you know, um, you know, choose a different path. So I think I think just dealing with the fact that, you know, people could very easily throw words like anti Semitic about a film that deals with um, Jewish subject matter mm. without even really thinking or kind of processing what they're saying you know it was always a concern so it was so important to me to make sure that I spoke to you know to rabbis religious figures and community leaders and so on and so forth mm. to make sure that we worked in in accordance with them um, and told a provocative dramatic story but that we tread that line of kind of always being respectful to the characters and the kind of the and the and the and the religion, and I think that hopefully what we've achieved is we've achieved um, a story which, or rather a, a film which tells a story about 
a collection of characters, all of whom are flawed, all of whom do good and bad, um, but who generally exist for the benefit of the greater good, you know? Mm. So they make choices which are compromised. They make choices which are kind of, um, you know, their moral co- code, you know, is brought into question from time to time. But fundamentally, the choices that they're, ma- they're making are for the benefit of, you know, one thing or another. But like I say, the greater good. Um, so, that, I mean, that was, that was very tough. I don't know whether that kind of answers the question. Well, it starts to answer the question. It doesn't answer the question about the storytelling aspects. It tells me, it tells me exactly what I'd be scared of. Which is, yeah. you're saying, here's a foreign subject that a lot of people find easy to abuse. Yeah. And I want to tell a provocative story that is both sympathetic and provocative. It's kind of yeah. like that, that must, that would have been a, a, you know, a mountain to climb, I suppose. Especially if you come into the subject as, as someone who, who, who needs to speak to authoritative voices to get that understanding as well. But what I was thinking yeah. is, when, once you had that kind of, when you had the understanding and knew what, knew what you needed to say and how you wanted to say it, when you're sat at your laptop writing the screenplay, what were the challenges for you in terms of that story then you were trying to tell? You know, once you've done that research and once you understand where, where the sort of sensitivity areas lie, where, where you can press the wrong or the right buttons, as it were, when you're sat there, what, were the, sure. what elements of your story became, were, the, were the hardest for you to resolve, as it were? I think it's... it's you always play that game of like for me something that really stands out for me is is, is um, simple stories, complex characters, you know, and I, I really believe that character is kind of the most important thing. I kind of think that character is more important than story, and certainly more important than plot, in my view. Mm. And the reason that I say that is because I think that when you when you look back on your favourite films, more often than not, the things that you remember are the characters, you know? You may not remember, you certainly won't remember the plot. You'll remember that somebody goes from A to B to C, probably. Mm. But you're not quite sure the reasons as to why that happens. And, you know, you have to really think about that. But the things that really stand out for me, I think, are characters, um, generally speaking. And so I think, I think the films that tend to work best for me are the ones that have relatively simple stories but that have very complex characters you know and, and you go into detail in that in that respect it's not always the case but in my view that most often that they're the ones that kind of stand out mm. and i think and i think within that kind of within that kind of idea it's just treading the line as to how many characters how much of those characters do you use and where and and who are you trying to serve within that so fundamentally i think i think that that is that is a kind of a, a fine line that you're always you're always trying to tread no matter what story you tell and no matter no matter how you want to tell it um and i think that i think you know you kind of you, you come up against it's funny because you'll have an interesting you'll have an interesting idea. So you'll kind of you'll draft it. You, you'll come to a first draft of a script and maybe a second or a third. Mm. And you're always kind of thinking to yourself, you know, how can I, how can this be improved? Because I think you know you it's it's a it's a never ending kind of process, and there comes a point where you have to deliver a draft, or you have, or you have to, you know, you go to um, you get a, you get a film and date. Your actors are available or whatever or whatever it may be. Mm. And you have to put the script to one side. Um, but during that process. 
I think, you know, it can always be improved. And, you know, you'll come up with an idea and you'll go, you know, it would be great if this happened. Or, and then it becomes so important to you, you know, you kind of, you, you get fixated on it and you go, this has to happen. But by, by integrating that idea, which might be brilliant in its own way, it has a ramification down the line, you know, either before or afterwards. And it's, and it's trying to kind of sometimes, and the editing process is exactly the same. You know, it's almost the reverse of the, right, the writing process. You know, it's, it's sometimes kind of saying, well, this may be a great, great idea in isolation, but does it serve the, you know, the, the story as a whole? Mm. You know, can you lose this scene? Can you, you know, you might be really attached to it, but does it, does it, you know, does it just kind of, is it a red herring, for example? And, and, and I think as a, as a writing process, or as a writer rather, you know, they're the kind of, they're the challenges that you really come up against because it's, you know, the difference between writing and editing is, is that you have, I think, is that you have you, your material, you've already shot your material as an editor. Mm. So, you know, not anything can happen. Within reason, you can take it in a, in a you know, a, a, a myriad of different directions. But as a writer, literally anything can happen. You can go in a completely different tangent if you get, if you decide, you know, you want to. And, if, and I think sometimes you have to sort of guard against the idea that, you know, you're going down one direction, but because you have spent so much time with it, it's become slightly, you become slightly tired of it and bored of it. And so you just, you almost want to take it in another direction just to kind of almost, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Just to almost no, I do kind know of what like, you mean. I do feed your own inspiration. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah. you know, you've read it a hundred times and you're completely used to it. You're not, re- you know, you're not somebody who's reading it or seeing it for the first time. Mm. And so, you know, you, you, you play all these games with yourself. And I think like any creative process, what tends to happen is you come up with a fantastic idea. So you think this is brilliant. You know, this is a brilliant idea. I have to make a film about this. And then you start the process and you go, oh, this is, this is kind of tricky. And then you come up against a, a brick wall and you think this is never going to happen. You know, we're never going to get there. And then you smash through that and you think you can see the light, you know. And then all of a sudden you start to kind of have a certain amount of uh, progress with it. And you hopefully get to a point where you think, yeah, I'm happy with that. But you, you, you have to go through those. You have to go through those kind of um, that process and those kind of, you know, those periods in order to kind of to get to the end. But, you know, it takes it takes time and you've really got to you really got to push on through, haven't you? No, indeed, indeed. So when, so when you've pushed on through, and you and your producers are happy with um, with what you've got on the page, and you're moving towards production, in in that pre-production period, what of the stuff that you'd invented, <laughs> as it were, and now putting your director's head on, talking to your um, talking to your producers, what what about what about the script seemed the sort of most difficult to shoot? What aspects of it? I think it was just, I think particularly it was the scale and the ambition. Okay. So I think the, the problem is when you, when you, um, when you make a film at, you know, kind of a micro budget level, the problems mm. that you come up against is you have no time, you have no resources, and you're trying to, well, everybody's trying to cut corners at every, so every decision you make is a compromise. Mm. And, and that is, that's incredibly difficult for somebody like me, particularly, who's, who's a bit of a perfectionist. I'm sure most filmmakers are a perfectionist and they want the very best for it. But mm. my attitude towards that was that, you know, every, every decision that I make, I want to try and get the maximum amount of value from. So I realize that I'm probably going to have to compromise to some extent, but it's how far can you push that? And, you know, without kind of jeopardizing 
you know, the production value of the film fundamentally. Because, you know, we, for example, realised that we probably couldn't... Um, the, the majority of the film shot handheld, so we didn't really have the time or the resources or the manpower to, for example, set up a track. We just didn't have time to do it, you know. We didn't... We, didn't, we couldn't afford a track, but more importantly, we couldn't afford a grip. And so, you know... The, certain shots or certain scenes that might have benefited from from that kind of approach, we just didn't have the the ability to, you know, to to kind of execute in that way, okay. and that's that's frustrating to some extent. But I suppose the way around that is to say, all right, well, how can you kind of counterbalance that? And I think my attitude was like, well, if we if we get great locations, then to some extent, what holds is the kind of the, the production design within that within that frame. Mm. So rather than kind of, you know, having a kind of like a really beautiful kind of tracking shot and it being about, you know, it being about the move, for example, you know, we'll try and find a kind of a, a cinematic quality within a different element of the process, mm. you know? And then sometimes you would come across a location, you go, this location's fantastic, and I'd speak to my DP and he'd be like, listen, this is great, but I can't light it. You know, because it's too big or it's too, you know, there's too much natural light. I can't counterbalance it, whatever it is. Um, so you're always kind of playing those games. And I think that the easy bit in some respects for me was um, dealing with performance and the actors. Because to some extent, I think that that was... Once you have, when you're working with good people, you know, I think you can kind of, to some extent, steer that ship mm. slightly. So you're kind of, you're kind of, I sort of, I sort of feel in terms of performance, the key to that really is to do a lot of preparation with the actors to kind of try things different ways. But then, then hopefully you all arrive on set prepared and you're just kind of you're just tweaking stuff because i don't believe in kind of giving too many too many notes to actors at that point i think mm. it can become very confusing and i think you kind of take away from from their instinct you know if you don't already subscribe to britflix just sign up for free at itunes and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it or follow at britflix on twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly thank you What kind of prep did you do with the actors before shooting? Well, we were, we were kind of lucky in the respect that we'd, we'd had um, a period of time in between shooting the short and then doing the feature, which was around about maybe eight months, something like that. And I didn't, have it, I didn't really have the chance to spend a lot of time with them. I mean, we had a rehearsal period of around about four or five days, maybe three or four days, actually. And... Um, but I'd had a time in between to kind of speak to them on the phone and kind of, I think they'd had a bit of time to kind of, you know, let it sink in and for them to really think about the characters and the world in which they lived and all the rest of it. Mm. Um, but I, I just kind of feel like the rehearsal process is really, really important. And um, again, you know, going back to the kind of the budget, you don't have time to really think, you know, because you're talking about shooting too much material in too short a period of time, you know, and you're under-resourced and all the rest of it. And that's like, you know, I'm sure that's the same for every kind of, you know, production of this kind of level. Mm. So so the thing about that was is that it was just a question of kind of really ramming home to each of the actors whenever you kind of had the time to, you know, in, in terms of what were, you know, what, 
you know, what the kind of, you know, think about backstory, you know, and, and, you know, I'm very keen to kind of talk to them about, you know, kind of creating, creating these kind of, you know, imaginative, you know, sub, subplots and kind of sub, you know, kind of backstories to each of their characters. Because I think it kind of just informs them a little bit more when they're in the moment as to why they're saying what they're saying and why they're making choices that they're making, you know, they decide to make. And it was very interesting to me seeing their progression and the kind of evolution between the kind of the first couple of days shooting short where, you know, we were all kind of finding our feet to some extent. And then by the time we'd kind of, by the time we got to the feature and how much more kind of confident, you know, each of the actors were in terms of their roles. Do you think some of that some of that was born out of because obviously you're, you're not obviously at all people won't know this obviously but you're an actor yourself as well yeah. so as as someone that obviously works with directors was was some of what you were trying to do with your actors born out of things that you think you need as an actor yeah I mean I think it's it's less about I think what I need but I think it's more about you know just seeing the process of different you know working with different directors mm. I think I think that, you know sometimes. Certainly, I mean, my, my personal experience has got to come into it because I think, you know, I am who I am and, yeah. you know, I, you know I, it's, it's my own experience. But I think that, you know, there are times where you'll, you'll work with... I think some of the, the very best directors that I've worked with, I think, generally tend to do the least in some respects. <laughs> and actually, and I, I'd say that... And that's not because they're kind of, you know, they're not, they're not doing their job. It's quite the opposite. I think that they, they'll say what they need. You know, for me... I don't have all the answers in any way, shape, or form, even having kind of had the benefit of coming from that background. Mm. And you're constantly asking yourself, I think when you're sat behind a monitor, should I go and speak to the actor, or should I let them find it on their own? And quite often what you tend to find is that good actors will find it on their own. Quite often good actors will need direction, and they'll need you know, a little bit of steering. Mm. But, but the worst thing I think you can do for an actor is, well, I think the best thing you can do for an actor is create a space where they feel like they can make mistakes, fall flat on their face, you know, and they're safe in that kind of environment. You know, mm. I think that's, that's so important to create a respectful, almost kind of family-type environment where everybody is kind of respectful of one another's kind of position, but particularly in terms of the actors. Because, you know, it's a, it, people don't realise, you know, how exposing it can be to... Um, you know, to wear somebody else's clothes, to speak in another voice and to kind of, you know, put yourself, you know, on the line in front of a camera, in front of an audience every every day, especially when, you know, you're kind of finding your feet. So I think it's very important to create that kind of environment. And sometimes, you know, a director will say too much to an actor and um, they just lose their, they lose their confidence or they lose their kind of their instinct. Um, so but so what you're saying is it's kind of, there's a balance between sort of being instructive and informative but actually dictate then there's the, you can go too far one way and it becomes you're dictating what the actor has to do yeah i, I just think you should never dictate yes, to, yeah, to, yeah. to a good actor because i just think you uh, you know i one of the like people always say that you know casting is such an important process because fundamentally if you get the casting of a part wrong you can't direct the performance out of that actor you know if you get that square peg in a round hole mm. You just, you know, you just made a bad choice fundamentally, and then it's very, and then it's very different, difficult. If you get the casting right, they can almost do anything, and it feels real. You know, it feels believable and truthful. Now, I don't, I don't think you have to, you should rely on that. But what I do think is that if you're trying to force something, quite often, it, you know, there's, there's, there's a reason for that, or you know, you, you often will not get there no matter how much you force it. Mm. Different when you have kind of supporting roles, I think, because I think people come in for a couple of days, 
you have a short amount of time with them and some, to some extent you have to take a different approach. But I think, um, uh, what's the other thing I was going to say that, um, if you, if you have an actor who, um, I can't remember the thoughts gone, it'll come back to me, but fundamentally I think that, you know, you just have to kind of be respectful of their space, I think. And, um, and just give them, give them the tools to work with. If they've done the preparation more often than not, they'll find it. The thing I was going to say was that, as a director, I think you kind of have to be open to different approaches. So it doesn't matter whether it's your production designer, your DP, your your editor. Like I believe that your filmmaking is a collaborative process. You know, you have to you have to be amenable to that. You have to kind of be malleable to that in a sense as a director. Mm. And I think that you it's your responsibility to have the vision and to say what it is you want specifically. But within that, you've got to, you know, hope that you're working with really good, talented people who will actually take your vision and bring things out of it that perhaps you hadn't thought of, or perhaps you hadn't, you know, you hadn't, um, you hadn't imagined. And the same is true with an actor. I think that, you know, an actor will, you know, say the words hopefully in the way in which they're intended, but hopefully they'll also bring something to it that you weren't expecting. Mm-hmm. And you only you only give them the opportunity to kind of explore that or or deliver that if they feel like they have that kind of ability to, to play. I mean, you've, and you cast as well, you've got a, a, a sort of, I guess at the, more, the most well-known end, you've got Stephen Graham, who, you know, Bulldog Empire and, 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 the, and the lot. And then you've got yeah. someone like Christopher Fairbanks, who obviously we, has been acting a long time, and he's, you know, he's a, he's a man that knows his craft, I guess. Sure. And, yeah, and, yeah. And then for, for anyone that's watching sort of UK film at the moment, Michael Smiley is a face that's very recognisable and obviously yeah, definitely, yeah. more regularly cropping up on TV. So how, how, how did, how did the casting go to get people like, like this in your movie? Cause like you say, it's, it's a, it's a low budget, micro budget movie. So, you know, I'm imagining that money wasn't the, uh, the attraction. No, no, that's, uh, it's funny you should say that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you know, no one's getting rich off a film like that, you know. And I, think that, I, think the, I think the reality is is that, you know, good people want to do good work. And I think yeah. if, you, if you present an actor or anybody for that matter with, you know, a script that they like, then often what you'll find is, is that they'll, they'll get on board. They'll get on board and they'll take, you know, they'll take a... Um, you know, depending where they are in their in their personal life and whatever else, and everybody's got to pay the bills and, and what have you. You know, people want to people want to do good work, and I, I think you know you've got to you've got to believe in who they're working with. I mean, you know, something that was incredibly flattering to me was to get a, get an actor like Stephen and Michael and Christopher and so on and so forth. Get those that kind of cast together. You know, was incredibly flattering to me because it meant that not only did they believe in the script, but you know, having met me, they they hopefully kind of bought into what we were trying to do. Um, mm. Which was, you know, to deliver a film that, you know, that we could all be, but certainly that, that they could be proud of. And I think, you know, what you tend to find in this climate is that there's very few kind of, you know, really kind of original scripts out there because quite often what, what happens at the higher end, you know, when there's money involved, a lot of the kind of creativity gets kind of beaten out of it, you know. Mm-hmm. There, are, there are some wonderful films out there, some wonderful scripts, and some fantastic filmmakers. But I think there's also a lot of scripts that, you know, kind of, you know, appeal to the kind of the, 
you know, the, the kind of the, the, the demographic of people who, you know, may not enjoy the film but will buy the T-shirt or the lunchbox or whatever else, you know, or may, mm. kind of may love the film, you know what I mean? But they'll also kind of buy all the merchandise and it goes along with it. And it becomes much more of a kind of a commercial venture than, you know, about, you know, about, about great filmmaking. So, um, yeah, it was incredibly flat. But it was very daunting because I think all of the actors that you mentioned are all, you know, very experienced. They all happen to be older than I am. Um, they, you know, have worked with directors that I really admire. So you're kind of, you know, you're putting yourself in a situation where you can't help but think, you know, how is their experience, how are they, you know, how is their experience measuring up with some of the other directors that they work with? I mean, Michael's worked with a lot with Ben Wheatley. Mm. <clears throat> Uh, Stevens worked with you know Shane Meadows and you know Martin Scorsese and you know other sort of heroes of mine, and like you say, Chris has been acting for you know for for many many years and worked you know worked with all all types of directors and, and, and filmmakers and so you know I think you know it goes back to what I was saying earlier, but when you when you give them a note, you better make sure it's a good note, you know, because <laughs> very quickly you know they're kind of they're, they're, they're sizing you up, you know, and they're kind of yeah yeah yeah. It's all good and well saying, oh, you know, it's very flattering that they got on board because they believe in me and all the rest of it. But if you don't deliver very quickly, that kind of trust is eroded. You know, very, very quickly, they're kind of like, does this guy know what he's doing? And so you've really got to really deliver. You've got to be prepared. You've got to kind of, you've got to allow them the freedom to trust you. And, you know, you've got to, and you, you've really not got to bullshit them. You know, you've got to kind of, you've got to be very honest with them. And sometimes there's a place for honesty and sometimes there's a place for silence, you know, and it's, I think, you know, part of the, Part of the um, the challenge of a, of, a, of a director in that respect is deciding, making the choices as to when to when to say something and when not to, you know. And, and if you do say something, you know, to, you know, you've got to make it count. Do, do you remember any specific instances where sort of working with these kind of people, you you, you know, a lesson learned for yourself? Because obviously, it being your first feature film, that's a that's a big task, big big um, a big thing to take on. So, having worked with these people now, do you remember any point, like any sort of lessons learned from from working alongside people like that? Yeah, I mean, I I don't remember specifics, but I do remember that every single day, you know, every moment of every day, you are you, you're doing exactly that. You know, you you're really you are challenging yourself on a level that you probably have never been challenged on before because. Each individual, whether it be cast or crew, requires something different. Mm. And when your backs your backs up against, in fact, I tell you, I, t I do remember a certain a certain time where we were literally halfway through. It was the it was the exact halfway point of the of the shoot, and it was ironic because it was very cold. It had been very challenging. It had been very it had been very very tough. And people were starting to get, you know, they were tired. You know, they were starting to get. Just a little bit kind of ratty with one another, and, and I think that's be, perfectly but... normal. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly that. You know, you've been with the same people, you've seen the same faces. You know, everybody's been challenged, and like I said to you, you know, you've got no money, you've got no resources, and so you've got no time. And so under those under those circumstances, it's it's very very challenging. And you know, I I take it as my job to kind of to lead that that kind of that family to some extent. You know, you mm. to lead that crew and that kind of band of people because. You know, maybe that is, maybe it isn't my job, but I kind of believe that it is, and I think that, you know, you have to set the tone. I think you have to kind of set the tone from the top and up. If you do and you get that right, it kind of filters down. So I, I knew that things were starting to unravel slightly. 
people, like I say, people were getting a little bit ratty. We were kind of pushed for time and all of that. So as we broke for lunch, I kind of I, I brought everyone together, and I kind of and I kind of made a bit of a speech and said, you know, look, it's understandable that everybody's tired, and I'm very proud of what everybody's done to this point, you know, and you should all be very very proud of yourselves. But when the times are difficult, when times are tough, you know, we all have to pull in the same direction, not kind of let it affect us in that, you know, we get pissed off with one another. We have to kind of, we have to, you know, pick up the slack. If somebody's having a hard time, you know, you have to be there to pick up the slack for the people that you're working around. You know, we're a family and we're in this together. And and it was funny because I think it's sort of, it was very kind of spontaneous from my point of view. Like I felt like it needed to be done and I went and did it. And I think it, it had the desired effect. But then I walked out that room and everybody went for lunch and everybody was kind of G'd up and buoyed. I walked out that room and I kind of, I needed to take myself to one side. And I walked, you know, in a kind of, into, into a, a field basically that was kind of next to the location. And I just, you know, I just had a moment myself where I was like completely overwhelmed by it really. I just felt, you know, fuck, you know, on the outside I'm putting on this, I'm putting on this, this kind of front. But actually, there's no one there for me, you know? Mm. There's nobody there for me to kind of, you know, to, 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 to help me through. I'm the one who has to kind of be seen to be, you know, to be kind of, like I said, leading from the front and, and, and being, being strong in this situation. But I can't turn to anybody else. And I just had to pull myself together and sort myself out and, you know, and carry on with it. But it was interesting that, you know, that kind of it caught me slightly unaware, really, because I, I, I did have a handle on things. I was very kind of on top of everything. And then almost, you know, by kind of verbalizing what I said during that, that kind of that, that rally, you know, it kind of brought it home to me that, you know, that, you know, everything kind of falls on my shoulders. This is something that, you know, I've worked for for such a long period of time. But not only that, you know, this, you know, my kind of producing partner, my, um, you know, the cast, you know, and so on and so forth, you know, all that responsibility is on my shoulders. So it's pretty daunting. And I think that, you know, when you're on that, when you're on that treadmill and the momentum is carrying you through, you... You, you know, your adrenaline gets you through those kind of periods. And I think when you finish the shoot, that's when you kind of decompress and you unwind. Mm. But when it kind of it hits you halfway through, which I'm sure, you know, it, it hits most people in that kind of situation at some point, you know, you do have to kind of, you have to, you know, you have to find that kind of strength really and just kind of, you know, just carry on through. But, but also I think, I think finding, I mean, I've, I've heard similar stories on the podcast, you know, I think having, finding the time to actually confront it, because obviously the easiest thing to do would be to ignore it and hope it goes away. But obviously that would have, that could have easily yeah. driven you more mad. And, and obviously the, the cast and crew could end up going off just slowly, slowly, but surely going off in their own little reactions to how they felt. And then suddenly... You've not, yeah. got, you've not got a family. It was we, 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 well, exactly right, and we, we'd all sort of become like mates, and yet, you know, it's, you, you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier, you know, it's a very difficult thing to kind of have that, find that balance, but between being the cast's mate, but also being, you know, their their director, you know, and I, so I was always very conscious just to keep my distance. So they became like mates. They became like. Um, we became, we became incredibly close, but I always kept that distance to some extent just so that, you know, if I needed to be harder with them or stronger or I needed to kind of take them in a certain direction, mm. I wasn't kind of crossing that line because it's very difficult to sort of, you know, be pally-pally with them one minute and then to be sort of, you know, telling them, you know, if it, sometimes, you know, I had to have a word, you know, because, you know, people, you know, like in any form of life, you know, sometimes, you know, people need to be, need to be told. Um, and... And I, I think that's exactly right. You know, it's 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 always striking that balance of of getting what what you need, not for you necessarily, but you know, doing what's right for the film, doing the best for the film. You know, I remember um, hearing somebody say, 
whatever choices you make, you know, you have to just make the choices in terms of what's right for the film, not what's what's right for your ego or another person's ego, the cast's ego, whatever it is. To you know, to sometimes you have to be careful in terms of the battles that you fight. You know, you have to mm. kind of you have to pick your battles a little bit. But equally, you know, I always made. I was quite proud of the, the fact that I always tried or endeavoured to make choices that were in the best interest of the film as a whole, not the individuals around it, because I kind of felt that by doing that, not only were you best serving the film, but you were actually indirectly serving those individuals, you know, in the best possible way too, you know? I mean, I guess that's, I guess that's the funny thing about, about, like, obviously when you're acting, you've got the responsibility to be, do what that character and what's needed in the scenes that you're in. Yeah. And that's kind of, you can, you can almost, I guess when you're doing that, you can be quite specific about what's needed of you. Whereas as a director, you're having to concern yourself with those specifics, but then also you've got to be able to, at any given moment, take a snapshot of the helicopter view of where the film's at and where the film's going, and then come back to the specifics as well. Yeah, there's no there's no real comparison. I, th- I don't think between acting and directing. I think they're such different sports, and mm. and you know they're such different disciplines. Acting is you know it's very demanding. It's very challenging. Um, but in terms of like you say, the kind of the the, the discipline as a whole, you know, directing is like I said, you are being challenged on at every moment of every every single day. Now I personally love that, and I really I really um, thrive on that. But if you don't have your shit together, like if you don't have if you if you haven't prepared in a way in which um, you can then be flexible. You know, you will get found out. And I think the other thing is, is that, you know, a lot of filmmakers, you know, people that I've worked with as an actor, you know, a lot of filmmakers will not so much try and blag it, but I think sometimes they will not, you know, nobody knows all the answers, but sometimes people will feel like they need to know all the answers. And one of the things that I learned very quickly was is that, you know, you really need to be in a position where you can answer anything. But if you don't know, if you don't know the answer, you know, it, there's no shame in kind of, you know, referring to... Um, to somebody else, you know, there's no, there's no shame in saying, I don't know, you know, what do you think? Because that's what your team's there for fundamentally. And I, I was going to say, yeah, if, you, if you've got your, your, your director of photography, you've got your sound recorders and stuff, it's like they specifically know more about what they've got to do. Their individual disciplines, exactly. Yeah, yeah and I, I think you do, have to, you do have to kind of, you do have to, you know, call on them. But it, 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 I think ultimately you have the final, you make the final decision. And you lead in that respect, and it should be in your, in the kind of the, um, in the kind of the uh, the confines of your, or rather the, the overall kind of picture of your of your vision, as it were. Mm. But um, but I think that I think that fundamentally, you know, it, it works best when it's a collaboration, you know, and you kind of you're making decisions. As long as there's a mutual respect there, mm. then then that should be a very positive thing. Um, but yeah, it's a very, very, it's a very, very different discipline. And I think as an actor, you know, you but you believe that the film begins and ends when you walk on set and when you leave, you know. And obviously, you know, there's, you know, nothing could be further from the truth because there's so much preparation just getting to the point that an actor is able to walk on set, and so much that happens after they leave, you know. Indeed, indeed. Now, well, let's remind everybody: when, when, when can people see the film at the moment? So the film is showing at the uh, the UK Jewish Film Festival on the 11th of November, 
and it also plays on the 17th of November and we're hoping that it will be released um, early next year. Okay, cool. So, uh, how, how, I mean, out of interest, have you played it to any, any predominant Jewish audiences yet? No, no, I haven't really, and this is the first time, and we were asked to play at this festival, and I yeah. thought it was a great, it was a great opportunity, actually, to, to sort of, you know, to work in conjunction with kind of the Jewish community and, you know, to, to sort of play at a kind of a, um, you know, to kind of, to, to kind of use that opportunity to, um, to kind of find that kind of solidarity to some extent. So I'll be very interested because I think, you know, the Jewish community consists, you know, like any community consists of, you know, a whole range of, of, of gray. You know, you have people who are incredibly orthodox, people who are incredibly moderate and everything in between. And it'll be very interesting to see what, what the reaction is in that respect. Yeah, I mean, from, 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 a, from an outside looking in, obviously someone who's not orthodox Jewish, and doesn't have. I mean, I used to live near a big Orthodox Jewish area in Manchester when I was uh, before yeah. I came to London. So I, can, I very, you know, very similar to when you, if I cycle across the Stoke Newington, you know, it, it never ceases to surprise me. You know, when I suddenly you're kind of, oh look, I'm in Stamford Hill again, and it's and it's a very different, yeah, 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 it's yeah, a very exactly. different um, aesthetic to uh, anywhere else in London. And where I used to live, it is, isn't it? In Manchester, it was very similar. I used to go. Well, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, used to go to hers, and she lived right in the heart of it. So when you go on, a, certainly at, at the weekend, people, everyone's moving around, and you're like, wow, it's uh, this isn't like, you know, half a mile up the road, you wouldn't know it was there. It's kind of that. But but in terms of the way you've, like you say, you've got, you, 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 you've not done black and white, and, and certainly going back to earlier comments you said about you, you enjoy the notion of simple stories and complex characters. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, you've certainly gone there, in terms of certainly the the portrayals of some of the Orthodox Jewish characters, the the people who represent the community, as it were, who are the yeah, people yeah. who are passing judgment, who are offering the moral guidance, yet maybe they're not so moral themselves. Sure. In yeah. terms of what they do, and that's I mean for me, I mean I'd love to be a fly on the wall. <laughs> are you are you going to be at the festival to do a Q and A? I will like be. That? Yeah, and I think I'll be doing a. Q- I think I'll be doing a doing a Q and A afterwards. Wow! So that's kind of so that would be where I mean I know you say you've done you, you did your research and stuff, but it'd be I've not seen that in <laughs> film before. You know where where the people who are meant to be the moral guardians of us are the people who maybe aren't the ones that should be so in charge, given what else they do. Uh, which I thought was a very interesting. Aspect yeah, but you know, you. I think that's I think that's kind of I, I think that's almost our perspective from the yeah. outside looking in, and I mm. think the reality is, is that you know we. You know, in any in any kind of element of society, you know, you have, um, I think you have these characters, and, and I think you know, we all doesn't matter which kind of you know what community, what our religious background or our beliefs, our cultural heritage, we all make mistakes. You know, we all make choices. You know that we that we sometimes you know regret, and I think that you know what, what I've tried to do with these characters is portray them as. You know, if you look at the character of Goldberg, for example, who is, you know, the, the character I think you're alluding to, who is the, the kind of the, um, uh, the, the kind of the figurehead to some extent within the community. He's kind of a very wealthy man who's made his money through business. But to some extent, we see the kind of the, the inside of some of those business dealings that he's been doing. And around the fringes, you know, they, they compromise his kind of moral code. Mm. You know, it was my view that actually, you know, w- what I was saying earlier was that these characters make some some of these kind of compromised decisions that they don't that don't sit 
very well with them so that you see that it's you know that their kind of morality is being brought into question mm. but also the choices that they make quite often are in in terms of the bigger picture with, with regard to the greater good so they're trying to make a decision at the one end that has some sort of benefit at the kind of more positive other end of the spectrum now whether that actually ends up being the case or not you know you know is 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 to some extent um by the by, or to some extent, can't be kind of you know can't be can't be known at the time of making the decision, and you know, and it, and it doesn't often go it doesn't often go those characters' way. But I mean, at the end of the day, this is a you know it isn't a documentary, it isn't a kind of a um, a factual piece. It's 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 not far off actually. It's, you know, it's not far off a kind of a, a relatively factual uh, oh, no, no. I mean, of, it, of some of the conversations that I've had with, with various of, kind of people I within. I imagine you would, and, and and I think it's 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 because obviously the story is about Benjamin, and obviously we see and, and we see him, the ostracised person, sort of how that where that leads, and sort of you know goes from bad to worse in some senses. Um, but but what you see there, like you say, they're making decisions that are based on the the Jewish community and what's good for the Jewish community, and how the Jewish community will see them in terms of the decisions they make. So in a way, it's 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 um it, it's the age old thing of sort of power power and corruption, isn't it? It's sort of you, you know it's no yes. different. No matter what, once you're in charge, you've got responsibility for things that mean you might have to make bad decisions that are for a, for a greater good as opposed to. I'm, I'm not suggesting for one minute that these people, these characters, are evil in inverted commas because that's not their motivation. They're not going, let's sure. be conniving and nasty. They're going, yeah, yeah. We have to make these decisions because this is what will perpetuate the world that we need to exist. Yeah, and it's and it's and it's endlessly fascinating that I think mm. that's you know because that that, like I said earlier, the Jewish faith, like any religion, it seems to me, is overwhelmingly a positive thing mm. and uh, um, the kind of set of beliefs that um, um, whether they be moderate or orthodox um, and again this applies to any kind of any religion I think um, are, are, are there for you know overwhelmingly good sort of reasons and, and, and lead to overwhelmingly good sort of behavior and, and, and morals and, and, and so on and so forth Mm. But I do think there's a conflict between what religion dictates on the one hand and what society dictates in the in this kind of the the kind of the the, the 21st century, you know. Mm. Um, and when you adhere to such a strict kind of set of beliefs, it makes it incredibly compromising. I think um, even more so than it would be for you and I, you know, being kind of living in a kind of a secular world. Mm. Um, so things that we kind of take for granted to some extent are a huge, you know, present a huge conflict for somebody living, you know, at the extreme of a, you know, religious kind of community. And I think that is again incredibly fascinating in the context of, you know, Stamford Hill being, like you say, in such a cosmopolitan, multicultural, fast-paced, techn technological and kind of global um, community, society, whatever you want to call it, mm. um, you know, in one of the, in one of the, in one of the busiest metropolitan, you know, metropolitan boroughs and cities in the world, you know, 
Um, so, you, so you have that you have that kind of direct conflict, and I think there are so many. You know, you, I, I could make ten films about um, about this community and about characters within this community, and I'm sure you know there are there are hundreds of stories, and I, that it's very it's very. Um, there are very little stories, actually. There are very few stories that are that I, that I can remember seeing. You know about you know real characters, like real people who exist within this world. I think it's very easy to kind of talk in terms of shades of black and white. Mm. You know, but actually, when you get when you get in, under the, the kind of the skin of it, and you start, you know, trying to portray real three dimensional characters who dress like orthodox. Jews, mm. but who are fundamentally just human beings at the end of the day, you know, For human beings who, you know, need to put a roof over their heads, who want to be successful in business, you know, who, you know, who, who to some extent, you know, are contradictory in some of the ways, you know, some of the things that they believe, but also, you know, some of the ways in which they act. Um, you know, just like any of us, you know, we all do these things. It's just that to some extent, the spotlight isn't quite as strong on us as it is on them because, you know, the, the bar isn't set so high. No, no, no. Well, look, um, good luck for your screening at the festival. And Thank you, man. I'll, and I'll, I'm sure you'll have a ball, and uh, it'll be an interesting Q&A to follow. It certainly will, yeah. And uh, will. look forward to uh, getting confirmation of uh, a release date so when everyone else can see it as well. Thank you, Stuart. It's been a pleasure, mate. Indeed. If you don't already subscribe to BritFlix, just sign up for free at iTunes, and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at Britflix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. It's time for another season of The Palmetto Porch, an original podcast from Discover South Carolina. I'm Devin Whitmire. Join me as I get to the heart of what makes South Carolina such a great place to visit by speaking to the locals who make it so special. Premiering December 5th, find The Palmetto Porch wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information about our show, visit scpalmettoporch.com.